Live here with Renters Radio, and we are back for the new year, and it's a new year for rent control. Um, we took a week off last week. Everybody was on vacation. I'm happy to be back in the back in the studio again with my co-host. Evan George. Hello, hello. I'm so glad to be back in Boston, but we're going to save my little 24-hour adventure until after, because we do have a special guest here tonight. Yeah. Two special guests here tonight. Yes, we do. We've we, Everyone's been on adventures. We also have in studio with us um, friend of the show, rent control activist. That's me, Ben Simon. Hello. Great to be here. Awesome. Thanks for coming in, Ben. Um, you're going to be my backup co-host if Evan got stranded. Um, so you could be my backup co-host. Now I'm extraneous. Yeah, no, I'm, you're I'm still extraneous. here. Extraneous. <laughs> you taught me what rent control was. So that's okay. what it's all about. And we also have a special guest caller who is now on the air. Um, we have executive director of the Mass Alliance of HUD Tenants, Michael Kane, um, here on the phone. Hello. All right. Thanks for inviting me tonight. Thank you so much for coming on. We have a lot to talk about. Like I said, it's a big week for rent control. We have the uh, big rally at the state house and a hearing on a bill mm -hmm. to repeal the ban tomorrow, which everyone's super excited about. Um, but I also actually met you last week at uh, Liz Breon's party and uh, you have been working in this field or helping tenants keep, save their homes for how many years now? Uh, 35, I guess, at the same organization, the Mass Alliance of Tenants, since 1983. Uh, but I uh, did some, some of that in the 70s, too. That's awesome. So, like, I mean, I'm super stoked to have you here to, like, pick your brain about what kind of, like, grassroots on the ground activism tenant support you've been doing for the last 30 years and you know what the future looks like for affordable housing in boston so can you just go right into it and give us a little bit of background on the mass alliance of hud tenants uh sure it uh, takes some explanations most people don't know that there is a whole system of privately owned subsidized housing that's affordable for working class and poor people um, it's called, we call it HUD housing because most of the subsidies are from HUD, but it's all at risk because the subsidy contracts are time limited. So it's sometimes called expiring use housing. So since 1983, we've been organizing tenants one building at a time to save their homes. And we've saved about 12,600 apartments in Massachusetts through tenant organizing struggles, one building at a time. Uh, uh, all over the place, a lot in Boston. Uh, we've also lost some that were battles that we lost where the owners just converted to market. So it's a, it's a struggle, um, but we're, uh, you know, we keep doing it and we're proud of our achievements. About 1,400 apartments are in resident-controlled housing, either co-ops or nonprofit-owned resident-controlled housing where the uh, people took it off to the market um, and kept it permanently affordable. So that's what we do. So um, and we, yeah, go ahead. No, keep going. These are privately owned buildings or public housing? Privately owned. Privately owned. It's different from the public housing. It's not public housing. There's a whole other system of public housing. There are challenges there too, because that is also being privatized uh, by federal policy at this point. But uh, it's a different system than that. It's privately owned, subsidized housing, where uh, mostly large corporate uh, owners, uh, some nonprofits, but mostly large for-profit companies 
were able to get big subsidies from HUD uh, in exchange for keeping rents low for low-income people. Uh, and those con- when those contracts end, that's when the rubber hits the road and people could be uh, either displaced or, the, at a minimum, the buildings converted to market and you lose the housing stock, which is why it's one of the reasons why uh, there's a lot of homelessness. We've lost 400,000 apartments nationwide since the late 90s from owners converting at about 10,000 here in the state. Uh, that have been lost. Wow. So the people uh, the people in those, once they've been lost and converted to market, the tenants need rent control in order to stay in their homes. Um, so our, our membership has a big stake in uh, the hearing tomorrow, and uh, we need support from everybody out there that will support all of you uh, that are fighting to save in your homes, stay in your homes through rent control. We need everybody in this fight to win it back. Right. So you it's basically been like a 30 year struggle um, with individual buildings and organizing the groups of people in those buildings. And and oh, no, please keep going. And, and how how do you do that? You, you know, you start like a, a, you know, a union among the tenants and petition or right. like what does that look like when you organize right. a tenants right. union? Right. Well, it's, uh, for instance, uh, let me use one ex- recent example mm-hmm. called Concord Houses in the South End. It's 180 apartments on Tremont Street. It had a what was called a Section 8 project-based rental assistance contract from HUD that was tied to the building. And that contract ran out. And the tenants organized. Uh, they made a proposal to the owner. I was an out-of-town owner and uh, sold it to him. And then he went to Washington and got legislation passed that enabled him to renew the subsidy contract for at least uh, at least 20 and hopefully 40 years so that we preserved low-income housing in the heart of the South End that would have otherwise been lost. It would have been converted to high, very high market rents. Right. And it would have been uh, the South End by race and class. So that's one recent example uh, where we had to actually get legislation passed in Washington to save the building. Uh, that's one example. Another one is called Newcastle Saranac in the South End, uh, also in Lower Oxbury. Uh, that one's slightly different because the state has a mortgage program that's very similar to the federal ones. Uh, it's called 13A, and there's a, there are about 4,200 families statewide in 13A buildings that are also at risk. Babcock Towers in, in uh, Brighton is one that's on the chopping block right now. Wow. Uh, 220 apartments, uh, mostly elderly uh, people um, in uh, Brighton. So there's a, it's kind of one building at a time, you know, it's a, uh, like trench warfare. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we, we mount it, whatever it takes, any means necessary to organize a tenant group at the building level. Uh, develop tenant leadership, come up with a plan and a strategy, and then every building, every story is different. Every building is different, um, and uh, you know, then you try to deal with the owners, or if they're not cooperative, you try to force them to sell to somebody that is going to keep it affordable. Um, and then sometimes we've been able to bring in nonprofits to take it out of the market and into social ownership, or uh, even resident-owned buildings, like I mentioned before. So we've, we're, we're responsible for saving Michigan Park in Charlestown, 337 apartments, uh, Charles Bank in Mission Hill, uh, 
kind of a mixed success, but it is a limited equity co-op, largest in the state, and some other buildings in the south end, uh, the brownstones and others that we saved one building at a time. Yeah. Um, as resident-controlled housing. So that's part of the strategy is to get housing out of the market, take it out of the market, and keep it permanently affordable for working-class people. Um, you know, I just came back from uh, Vienna and Berlin. If we have time to talk about what I saw there. Oh, I would people love to. Vienna, start to. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to hear that because I know there's so many better examples of how to do public housing out of this country. And I'm sure there's a lot of people oh, yeah. listening right now because, you know, uh, the strategy of tenant organizing is incredibly important. It's one building at a time, one unit at a time, as you were saying. But I'm sure for some people, they don't might not know the history of HUD. And, you know, just looking at the founding date of 1983, that's the start of the sure. Reagan era. Could you just briefly explain, you know, well, we're like, not what... we're not HUD. We're a te we're a tenants union. Yes. That um... organizes tenants subsidized by HUD. HUD is the federal government's housing agency. It uh, stands for housing and urban development. It and... does not stand for homelessness and urban despair or, <laughs> uh, you know, no, uh, yes, and, uh, and that's exactly what I was getting to. You know, but uh, <laughs> use those signs. But um, no, it's, it's uh, the federal government's housing agency, which is another level. Um, uh, all of the tenants in HUD subsidized housing and also in public housing and people with that have what are called Section 8 vouchers out in the market. More people are familiar with that. There's about 5 million people federal uh, at the federal level, national level, that are uh, in houses that are affordable only because of federal subsidy assistance. Only one out of four people gets it. It's not an entitlement in this country. So that's why there's so much homelessness, because there isn't enough affordable housing that was frozen under Reagan. They haven't built any new low-income housing for families since 1983. So you, you, over time, the population that needs housing grows, they're out in the street. So that's ultimately the, the source of that, or the primary source of homelessness. Um, but uh, the, the tenants that are it, that lucky enough uh, to win the lottery and be in one of these buildings, uh, they have to stay organized in order to make sure that the uh, budget isn't slashed and burned. So Trump has proposed very deep cuts every year since he's been elected, very deep cuts that would phase out all government subsidies to tenants over 10 years, completely eliminate them. Uh, fortunately, both parties and both houses of Congress have rejected that each time they tried it. But it's a very much a lie proposition if uh, there's another if there's another term for Trump yeah. uh, and the Republicans uh, win control of the House and the Senate again, uh, watch out because there would be nothing really to stop them from uh, destroying the entire system. Wow. But, uh, you know, we're, so our, our approach is to organize people at the building level and then form coalitions. So the statewide coalition is called the Mass Alliance of Tenants. So we mobilize people for things like the rent control hearing tomorrow or uh, local protests around federal budget cuts like we did last April with peace and labor groups in Dorchester. Uh, so, you know, we, we understand that we have to join forces with other, uh, other constituencies that have a stake in the federal budget. You know, senior citizens worried about Social Security and Medicare, uh, peace groups that are uh, appalled by the, you know, huge waste in military spending <laughs> and would rather see that money redirected to 
people's needs. So there's a you know broad movement, a growing movement for that. Um, and uh, we, we organize here and then through a national union called the National Alliance of Hut Tenants. We have affiliates like the Mass Alliance around the country, and then we can uh, do actions, coordinated actions or lobby campaigns to um, you know, fight federal budget cuts and fight for legislation that will help save people's homes. Okay, and I was actually just posting the website for the Massachusetts chapter was maht.org, and then the national one is saveourhomes.org. And one thing with the rents in Boston going up as drastically as they have been, people would be out on the streets even more without the work your group does. It sounds yeah, like. Well, I mean, I mean, the we South End. Not, uh, what we did, we would have lost, uh, you know, like that building in the South End, those folks. Uh, they would they would have received temporary vouchers, but once they moved out, the building would have been a market rate building. And um, uh, the 13A buildings don't even have the temporary voucher option, so uh, they're very much at risk. Uh, so we have to come up with really creative solutions. I don't want to go. I could go into it, but it's it gets kind of technical, kind of fast. <laughs> but well, you know the tenants, the tenants in the buildings have got to learn really, you know, fast to you know what's going on and how to come back with uh, counter offers to save their buildings, and that's what they've done. And, and that's a lot of paperwork and stuff, right? That's a lot of, like you said, technical know-how that I guess you put on trainings <clears throat> and whatnot to sort of. Yeah, exactly. We do trainings at the building level uh, tailored to what's going on in the bill. Every building is a little different. Right. Um, and then uh, we have an annual conference in Washington, D.C., where uh, we, we raise money every spring to take tenant leaders from uh, different groups from here to meet with their peers from around the country at a tenant-run conference in Washington with, like, 20 workshops and, you know, plenary sessions where we drag the HUD officials in and uh, and try to have a dialogue with them around policy and enforcement issues. Uh, so that's, you know, we do that every, we've been doing that for 25 years now. So the, and I should mention that both organizations are tenant run. They're, they're governed by elected tenant boards, both the national tenant union and the Massachusetts one. So I, I report to them. Um, so it's, a, it, it's, it's really, NAT is the National Alliance of Tenants is the only national tenant union in the United States. Uh, and it's had a continuous history now for 25 years. So we've been able to do a lot, like preventing budget cuts and uh, expanding the right to organize and winning legislation to save housing. That's awesome. And um, I mean, it seems like it's more necessary than ever. At least, you know, I mostly know about, you know, the housing stuff in Boston or what I see from doing this. Um, quick question. Also, one of the things I want to get into was the Marty Walsh's State of the City address last week. Ah, Did yes. you watch that? We were well. We were invited because uh, this uh, Walsh announced support for uh, a new campaign that we had in the last five years. Uh, we've been uh, because the federal subsidies are being cut, or state or they're stagnating, uh, and because so many people need housing. Like here in Boston, there are 47,000 people in Boston on the wait list for public housing and Section 8 vouchers. There's just not enough. So uh, we've been advocating with the city to create a city-funded rent subsidy to supplement it. 
like a city-funded Section 8-type program. So we have a city rent subsidy coalition, 32 groups. We've worked for five years, five, six years, I guess, to try to persuade Walsh to do it. And uh, lo and behold, he announced it uh, last uh, week. Yeah. He invited us to the State of the City address. That said, that when he announced a special, like he called it city-funded vouchers, that was a bit of a misstatement. Right. It's really city-funded rent subsidies because um, we've recommended they get tied to buildings uh, where the, the rents are lower. If, if you, if you, they could do it as vouchers, but that's a lot more expensive because the rents are so high, right? So it costs 50, 60% more per apartment to provide it as a mobile voucher in the market, but you can tie the subsidies to new buildings, for instance, that are going up that have other kinds of subsidies for moderate income people. And you can make sure that some of those apartments are available for extremely low income or homeless people. And that's who needs it. I mean, in Boston, uh, something like close to half the renters in Boston are extremely low income people earning less than 25, 30,000 a year. And uh, a lot of them are elderly, a lot of, you know, uh, and uh, 21,000 households do not receive any kind, that are extremely low income, do not receive any kind of subsidy. Those are the people that are really facing homelessness. In fact, a lot of them are homeless um, uh, or facing homelessness because of the market. You know, they're doubled and tripled up. They're sleeping on people's sofas. And, uh, you know, they're very precarious. Uh, and that's acknowledged in the mayor's housing report. So with this new program, we'll be able to start with up to 500 uh, currently homeless or, or people facing homelessness uh, families to give them permanent affordable housing out of the city budget, out of the permanent budget. I mean, the city budget is $3.3 billion a year. So it's we've been saying, you know, they can afford to do this. We want them to create a program, which they've agreed to do. Then we're going to work to expand it over time. There's no reason they can't do what Washington does. Washington, D.C. funds a city-funded voucher program, a red subsidy program, for $46 million a year. It's more than 4,000 families that are supported by the city budget in Washington. So there's no reason why they eventually can't do that here. Uh, especially with all the new luxury condos and the commercial buildings that are being built that are, you know, number one, bringing in more money for the city, but also they're driving up the rents. Right. You know, the, a lot of the new luxury housing is driving up the rents. So it's poetic justice that they take some of that money and uh, turn it back into low-income renters. And uh, Michael, I actually had a question for you about like the city subsidies, because how, you know, in how I'm imagining, let's say I'm a landlord and I just found out that some of my tenants are now receiving, I don't know, two, three, four hundred dollars subsidy from the city. What keeps me from just increasing the rent by two, three, four hundred dollars and almost making that a net zero difference for the renters? And I, as a private developer, just pocket that money. Uh, well, uh, that's the there is a voucher program, which uh, has been around for some decades now, and it's it funds uh, about 2.2 million vouchers through local housing authorities. And uh, they pay usually below the market. Uh, they pay what's called a payment standard. And in high market areas like Boston, the payment standard lags behind the rents that are being charged by landlords. 
So the problem in Boston has been that in the last few years, people got were getting vouchers from the housing authority, and they couldn't they couldn't find a place that would take them. The landlords were asking for too much rent. Um, tenants are allowed to pay a portion more, uh, you know, for their, um, you know, more than 30% of their income uh, if they want a particular apartment. But what's driving the rents up is not the subsidies. The subsidies aren't driving the rents up. The subsidies are lagging the rents. Um, the, 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 the rents are going up because of the speculation and uh Luxury development that's driving up prices as owners raise their rents to meet the luxury housing uh, prices that are being charged. There's a shortage of housing, and there's uh, too many people that need it. So that's what's driving up the people will pay whatever it takes to live someplace. So uh, I, yeah, I don't think it's fair to blame that in Boston on the rent subsidy program. I think the rent subsidy program is alleviating some of the pressure. Right. I mean, it's going to people who qualify for it, who are either low income or, like you said, um, el- you know, elderly right. or on fixed income uh, situations who, you know, need a place to live. Um, I would love to see them get right. in those luxury condos they're building, you know, <laughs> like if I had yeah, it my yeah, way. I, mean, I know. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's true. Um, Just take some of it. I don't know. campaign would be interesting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the, the state would come down, you know, the police powers of the state would come down very fast. Yeah. In this city to, uh, you know, throw people out. Um, we did organize, at one time, we, we did organize a squatters campaign in the early 80s. And at Tent City, it was part of the struggle to build Tent City. But the buildings were abandoned and owned by the city's redevelopment authority at the time. Okay. And uh, so that uh, we were able to do it, although uh, when the winter came, people had to leave because there was no heat. Uh, sounds like Occupy, um, uh, a little that, bit. That, that, that did. That was uh, that campaign did help uh, build uh, Tent City. We we did get a commitment to build affordable mixed income housing there that um, under nonprofit ownership. It's a you know it's outside of the market. Yeah, I mean, I I like to see movements like that just because, um, you know, we've done similar things, um, different artist spaces and, you know, Occupy Tent City. I mean, I like to see an an intentional tent city. I don't like to see a tent city of desperate homeless people that really should just have housing available. Um, But another question. Yeah, it's easier said than done. Yeah. People that uh, that are experiencing homelessness are extremely vulnerable people. and. uh, you know, that's a. Uh, it's impossible. You have to be very careful about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's impossible to get your life together when you don't have somewhere to live. That's just like a basic, basic human right, basic needs. Um, it's not like Boston is a poor city. We should be able to house everyone. This isn't, you know, do we care about no, people or not? Right. <laughs> um, but well, I did. That's right. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. So I appreciate that, and I actually I'm probably going to do more research on that squatter tent city movement in boston because i wasn't aware of that um it was a little before my time so make a note of that um i did have a few more questions on uh what's going on tomorrow with the rent control hearing so um the ban on rent control was passed what was it like 1983 or 93 93 94 94 94 uh, in 1994, and it passed by less than half of one percent statewide. 
Right. The, and land, the real estate industry, uh, they brought in, it was like $800,000 in donations from the national real estate, uh, you know, uh, trade groups. Um, we we had only about 50000 with all the tenant groups working together. Uh, so they outspent us pretty dramatically, and they had friends in the media. Right. Um, but despite that, I mean, we almost won. I mean, we came very close. Um, there was a lot of confusion among voters because the Secretary of State's voter guide was not well written. So a lot of people out in the sticks that were voting to support rent control were actually voted the wrong way in the referendum. It's very confusing. Yeah. Um, but after, after it passed, um, uh, all of the rent control systems were phased out within a year or two. And uh, uh, ever since then, if you try to talk about rent control at the state house, it's like, you know, talking about, you know, you couldn't even bring it up. I mean, the, the attitude was this is completely beyond the tail, beyond outside of the discourse that was allowed. You couldn't even bring it up. Uh, that's only started a change in the last year or two, but it is changing. And, and uh, what do you attribute you know, to that, uh, Michael? What, what, what do you think is like the difference that all of a sudden now this crisis. is something? It's the crisis. Everybody... Everybody is freaking out about the rents. Are the inability? You know, the rents are just too damn high. Everybody has friends or relatives that are uh, either doubling up or tripling up or have been homeless. Or everybody knows people. You go to a, go to a meeting and ask how many people either have experienced homelessness or know people that are, and half the room raise their hands. And uh, you know, in the last two years, I've uh, you know going to regular meetings. People have started to bring up spontaneously. We have to get rent control back here, you know. And this is coming up like that, and uh, or just people that you run into are starting to talk about it. That was not true until very recently. I think people have read about what happened in California, what happened in Oregon, what happened in New York. Um, I think uh, it helped that Jim Browdy from uh, you know, uh, Public Radio. And TV uh, was bringing it up in the mayoral election two years ago. It was the first mainstream uh, media right. figure that had used the magic words rent control. Couldn't even talk that way up until then. He legitimized it, and I think he deserves a lot of credit uh, in the you know ideological uh, uh, terrain that we have to fight. Um, you know, dispelling a lot of the myths. Uh, and lies that the real estate industry has propagated for decades now. Um, yeah. You know, so that's, I think that was a big factor, but it's really people's experience. And I think, frankly, the people are ahead of us in a lot of ways. The people are talking about rent control. A lot of the tech groups were saying, oh, you know, we can't really talk about rent. We have to talk about, uh, you know, tenant protections or rent stabilization because rent no i mean people the people are ahead of us they're so they're talking about rent control and the, the groups are just now beginning to catch up and uh you know and uh, as are the elected officials who are close to the ground so i think it was very significant that um in the boston city council elections last uh couple of months ago um the city council for the first time elected, or the voters elected eight people out of 13 that are pro rent control. That's the first time that's been the case since I, you know, since the early 70s. Since the early 70s. 
Um, so that's a major shift, and uh, it happened because of a lot of candidates running and a lot of uh, hard work by tenant groups at the grassroots level, but really because people are freaking out. They're experiencing this extreme crisis, and this is one, it's not the only answer, it's one tool, but uh, you know, you have to do a lot of things. You have to build new low-income affordable housing. You have to get, find the subsidies to make that real. You have to expand social ownership and take things out of the market, but you also need to have regulations on the market to prevent rent gouging and uh, unjust evictions. Um, you know, but uh, up until you know, we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow and over the next couple of years, whether the state house will respond in the same way the city council did, elections did. Uh, we'll see. Um, Are you but, hopeful? Uh, uh, well, I'm hoping that they'll listen. I mean, you know, they've got to look at this. Um, uh, you know, they they have to look at what the people in their own districts are saying. They all know. Every every one of the state legislators is getting desperate calls from people who are homeless or facing homelessness or being evicted. They're, they've got to hear that. So it's a question of getting past the influence of the real estate lobby, which is very powerful, uh, very entrenched at the leadership level at the state house. Um, we have to overcome that. But people did it in California. They did it in New York. Uh, it took them years, you know, in both states, but they did do it. So uh, I'm optimistic that that will happen here because the, the need is just so great. And uh, people are waking up and starting to organize. And um, Michael, one of the big uh, talking points that we're going to hear probably over the next week or so while this is still in the news cycle is that if you have rent control, it's going to stop development and we need to encourage development. So what would you say to a state legislator that's being told um, that people aren't going to want to build in my city because if you have rent control, they're not going to be able to make as much no, it's, 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 a, it's bullshit and lies. I mean, the, the rent control systems okay. that were that, that they had in Massachusetts that were healed all exempted new construction from rent control. So what, was, what were they worried about? There's, they're making so much money by developing market rate housing and condos here that that's not... Um, that's not a risk. Although, frankly, I think it would be a good thing if they stopped building luxury housing. You know, we should be we should right. be blocking any kind of uh, super luxury housing and saving the public land or available land for affordable housing and hold, keep it off the market like we did at Tent City. That's what the Tent City struggle was about. We blocked luxury housing that the city wanted to build for many years until we got what we wanted, which was affordable housing. 75% for low and moderate income people. It was mixed income, but uh, like in Vienna, but it was affordable, mostly affordable. So that could be done in any vacant land site. We should just say, just say no until they build housing that's affordable, and we should demand subsidies from the city, state, and federal government to make that real. That could be done. They did it in Vienna. And, uh, actually, that's a nice segue. Two-thirds of the housing in Vienna is social housing, either wow. public or social housing. It's not income-restricted. It's not targeted to very – segregated for extremely low-income people like it is often here. Right. Um, so people – middle-class people want to live in it because the housing is beautiful, well-designed. It's not segregated. 
uh, you know, by income. Uh, it's all over the city, uh, and it, it, it blends very well intentionally with the surrounding communities. That was an intentional program that grew out of the Red Vienna period and from 1919 to 1934, and it was continued after World War II by the elected uh, socialist government in Vienna. Uh, it's, it's still a capitalist system, uh, but it's, they have a very strong social welfare state, and housing uh, has been sold. So it's two-thirds social ownership. The rest is rent-controlled. There's no homelessness. The rents are one-fourth what they are in, in Paris. People have a huge amount of disposable income, and the quality of life is very high. Did you just say there's no it's homelessness? That I could not see any visible. I, there was apparently no visible homelessness because they have enough housing, um, and it's fairly easy to get into it. Even for um, they have a limited amount of immigration, but they've been able to uh, accommodate uh, in recent immigrants as well. Wow, I, that's just something that you know. That's a dream uh, for a city yeah, like Boston. <laughs> And, and, that, and as you were saying, like um, the housing itself, ex, like on the exterior, was designed to be beautiful, was to blend into the neighborhoods. You didn't have this strict segregation of these ugly, divested brick buildings that are in one section that people could point to and say, oh, that's public housing. It was meant to be interwoven within well, that's their right. city. That's right. There are a lot of historical reasons why public housing was built that way. Uh, because the real estate lobby pushed back and they, they starved it, uh, starved the program for resources. And then they restricted it so it only went to extremely low-income people. And it became stigmatized. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, in the physical segregation of the, of the buildings, their location and, and design reinforced those um, uh, perceptions. And, and a lot of it was even internalized. But uh, but it's that's not inevitable. It's just a question of political will and enough resources to do it right. So I'd say that here in Boston, we did it right at Tent City. We did build beautiful mixed-income housing that is mostly affordable. Um, uh, we did it without federal subsidies. We did it with city and state subsidies, actually. Um, but uh, it, it, you know, and it's it's community-controlled nonprofit housing. It won all kinds of design awards. You wow. can't. It, it blends in well with the South End neighborhoods. It's not stigmatized, and people, uh, the market rate tenants, are fighting to get into it. Uh, it's across from Back Bay Station, so um, you know you can do it in this country. We've shown you could do it here, but uh, in Vienna, just imagine 500 tent cities. You know, you know. Uh, so it would take a a lot more political power, but if people do what was possible and fought for it. All right, this know. is gonna sound dumb, but they're not really tense, right? Yeah. Say it again. They're not really tense, right? No, no. It's like, so I'm, tense. I'm like a, there was a <laughs> protest in 1968. I see. Okay. All right. And when people pitch tents to protest, um, uh, you know. Uh, the BR, the Boston Redevelopment Authority's urban renewal uh, plan, and then about 10 years later, we started a campaign to build housing on a vacant land site uh, across from Back Bay Station. And when it was built, we called it Tent City, and people said, "Well, why didn't you do that?" You know, people, you know, people will be asking, "What does that mean? Why, why did you name it that?" We said, "Well, that's exactly why we named it Tent City. We wanted the people who live there to be able to." 
you know, that has to tell the story about how it came out of a community struggle. It wasn't a gift from anybody. It was just people fought for what they wanted. And they fought for the resources until they got it. And that's that's the inspiration for going forward, I think. That's we could do it there. We could do it anywhere in the city. Uh, but people will have to um, mobilize. A lot of people are mobilizing. There's a, a very strong... Uh, uh, movement in Dorchester and another in Roxbury uh, and in Jamaica Plain that's been fighting to increase uh, low-income housing and their affordable housing in the new housing that's being built in those communities. So there's a, a slugfest going on in a lot of neighborhoods. Right. Um, it needs to spread. And uh, if if all the groups around the city join forces, then they could create enough political clout to make it happen. So, you know, and that is happening. I mean, the mayor did respond. He's coming up with $5 million a year as a starter. And we'll try to expand it to uh, make it feasible to have housing that's affordable to the people who live in the city. Right. right. So, uh, you know, there's a, there are nonprofit housing groups that, are, that build housing outside of the market. They need to be supported. Right. And pretty much all these groups are kind of coalescing at the state house tomorrow. For this hearing and rally, Um, you know, we got City Life, we got Dorchester and Office Sale, we got the Chinese Progressive Association of Bright. I mean, the list is basically a who's who of uh, renters unions. Now, um, the ban on rent control is statewide. And, you know, I I know that I met you in Brighton. I live in Brighton. We are represented by the Boston City Council. Um, But Cambridge also has a huge housing affordability issue, which is might even yeah. be more so than Boston in terms of price, like ridiculousness of price. And uh, my friend Ben here uh, was actually the person who taught me the term rent control when he was running for city council. Um, mm-hmm. Will, do you think that if this bill is passed, we could, what is that? What is the next step for that in terms of Boston, in terms of Cambridge? Like, Right. Well, I should make it clear that the bill, you know, 3924. It was filed by Rep. Connolly and Rep. El Eduardo right. from, uh, from Jamaica Plain. Uh, Connolly is from uh, Cambridge and Somerville. Um, it's a fairly modest bill. All it does is it lists that state ban. Just gets rid of the state ban, and it says that cities and towns henceforth can, if they want, adopt protections for tenants. They could range from rent control or rent grievance system or condo ban or regulations or just cost for eviction or some combination um, and uh, would exempt any owner-occupied, uh, you know, triple-deckers, one to three unit buildings would be completely exempt as they were in these systems before. Uh, so, and it exempts, uh, you could exempt uh, new construction, which is what the systems here did before, too. Uh, so um, that's a very modest thing. All it does is it lifts the ban. It doesn't impose rent control on anybody. It would then be up to the city councils to decide. I think, uh, I don't know for sure, but I think uh, probably there'd be a lot of support for that in Cambridge and uh, Somerville. There certainly is now in Boston of some form of rent regulation. It might just be you know, a, a freeze on rents above 5 or 10% a year, you know, like in, rent increases above that amount, which is what California did. Could you make a bill I mean, to California, make people they, lower they, rents? They actually, like... 
could you do? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, in Berlin, <laughs> in Berlin, uh, it's very uh, kind of a unique situation. They had a lot of uh, vacant housing after unification, and uh, uh, the r- rents were very low for a long time. And then about a decade ago, a lot of it was social housing. A decade ago, there was a fiscal crisis. The uh, city government sold off hundreds of thousands of apartments to now uh, those there are these giant corporations vulture funds that came in and bought up hundreds of thousands of those apartments and immediately tripled the rents and started throwing people out and making cosmetic repairs so the the the, the people in the city and it's a poor city uh, were, are really freaking out about it so they uh, they have rent control in Berlin but uh, they the, the people in the city have initiated a referendum that would actually 300,000 apartments from the private corporations that own more than 3,000 apartments each. Um, uh, some of them are U.S. corporations like Blackstone. So they would expropriate 300,000 apartments and convert them into back into social housing. Um, and uh, the, the German constitution allows compensation below the market. Which the U.S. Constitution oh, actually nice. doesn't. Yeah, uh, we'll but, need to pay uh, they, they, uh, there's a big campaign on it, and they have a, they're doing it as a binding referendum. There's some legal challenges, so it's not in place yet. But uh, what's interesting is that the city government, in response to that campaign, announced a five-year rent freeze. They're actually going beyond rent control. They're freezing rents, and they're trying to drive the rents down. They've, they've created a mechanism so that tenants could petition to lower the rents. Uh, why? Because if they're going to have to buy 300,000 apartments, even at a below market price, they want to keep the prices as low as possible. So the city is trying to drive the prices down so that wow. they, when they when they buy 300,000 apartments, they could do it affordably. Mm. How's that? So it's a, yeah, it is theoretically possible, and in, in, in Berlin, it's actually happening. That's amazing. Um, yes, I don't know what kind of timeline we have in Boston or Cambridge for something like that to be done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we're not proposing that tomorrow. All we're saying right. is let the cities do what they need to do. I, uh, you couldn't really do it in this country that way because of. Um, you know, you have to, uh, rent control must give a fair net operating income, a regulated profit. To, you can't force people to lose money under rent control, despite the claims, uh, the dishonest claims of the real estate lobby that I'm sure will be there tomorrow. Uh, they, they'll, oh, they're making us lose money. That was never true. Right. Oh, it's going to discourage new investment. That was never true. And the, the, there's so much money to be made here. Uh, that, you know, the developers are tripping over themselves to outbid each other for luxury housing. Um, I think the problem is more, we'd want to block the luxury housing in order to build affordable housing. Right. Um, so if they say, we won't build any, okay, that's fine. Take your marbles and go some, to some other place, but let us protect our own people and protect our own city with housing that's affordable for the people who live here in the built by nonprofit housing corporations. I, outside of the market. Yeah, I, so I really hope that one answer to what the what the you know what they'll say. Um, uh, you know, does it discourage new new construction? No, new construction will be exempt. Well, I mean, I'm not even sure it should be, but actually, um, 
you have been working on this for like 30 something years. And so, you know, a lot, I want to actually ask a couple quick random, like, I don't know, on my old show, we used to do speed round. If this ban is lifted, what town do you think will enact rent control first? Well, every, it'll be up to every city. I can't dictate that. I mean, every, just if you had to guess, if you had to guess, just, just humor me. I'm just curious. Well, I, I think in Boston, I think in Boston, there would be some form of rent regulation, some something like at least a freeze on uh, rent increases of more than say five or ten percent a year. I think that is very likely. Um, you know, a full rent control system would require regulation of apartments by registering them uh, and uh, requiring prior written approval after a hearing process before they can raise rents based on actual cost increases that was that's a full rent control system um but that you know uh, i would personally support that i think it makes sense but um uh it would uh you know whether i i don't know that the city council would support that here in boston um but if you had to guess between like boston cambridge somerville maybe some town in western mass like if this ban was repealed, do you think Boston would be the first to enact something that they could now do because the ban's been lifted? Or do you think it would be Cambridge or Somerville? I, I or You don't know, I, you, I can't make, you can't do know. some divination I, here? I, I think yeah, Somerville no, would be first. Close, you think I'm Somerville? Not that close to the uh, Cambridge or Somerville counselors, it would be up to them. I see, okay. And up to the people in those cities. Uh, it would be up to the people in those cities. And people, every city will want to tailor it in a different way. There might be higher exemption levels, for example. Right. Uh, the Connolly bill actually would allow uh, income targeting, where uh, where uh, rent control would uh, be restricted to people below a certain income level. That's controversial because then landlords would be tempted to discriminate yeah. uh, against people of lower incomes. Um, uh, Which is an argument but, used know, by people... Who don't like rent control and the, like that was that's one of the things people like to say oh it leads to housing discrimination well it can it depends on how it's 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 uh, crafted right i mean it is illegal to discriminate against people on the basis of source of income so if you have a section 8 voucher for example uh, and you go you know, the, the voucher would cover the rent if the landlord is asking uh, they can't turn you away because you have a voucher, not legally. But of course, it happens. It happens, yeah, all the, all the time. time. But it is illegal, right, uh, in this state, right? I, I should uh, mention because to go back to uh, the Boston housing, the problem in Boston with the vouchers was not that the vouchers are inflating the rents charged by landlords. I think that's a canard. Whoever's putting that out is uh, is um, I'm not sure why they're they're inventing that one. But it's just not true. The, the rents were lagging behind. The voucher payments were lagging way behind rents. The, uh, the Boston Housing Authority last July implemented a new uh, option called small area fair market rents, which would allow a tenant uh, seeking a, a, an apartment in a higher cost neighborhood. It would allow the housing authority to pay more money in that neighborhood, just in that one neighborhood. It's called small area fair market rent. So they just have begun implementing that. That will uh, promote racial integration and, and uh, uh, diversity in higher income areas. 
now be used in those areas. Um, so after that, I mean, then we'll see if there's an inflationary effect on rent. So I don't think so. I, but, yeah, um, I doubt it. There, there's a tendency, a tendency for the, the, the subsidy levels to lag behind uh, rents. <laughs> just like uh, income levels. To, <laughs> just like income levels, exactly. <laughs> but so we do need to build new housing for sure. Uh, I mean, rent control is, is only one tool. It uh, it just avoids prevents hardship and displacement for the people who already are in housing. But it doesn't by itself build the housing that people need. That has to be done by other people. But if rent control, if it exempts new construction, would not be a factor on that. Um, I think for landlords to claim that it's just ridiculous. I mean, they're making so much money from when they develop that uh, it's just a you know, it doesn't pass the left house claim. Um, I was wondering if I could ask you, uh, Michael, is your organization or other tenants organizations you know of pushing to get the means testing part of that bill stricken? Um, interesting you'd say that. The, um, uh, the, uh, uh, I'll pr we'll probably mention that tomorrow. I know when we testify, I know that um, SEIU which has come out with a really good statement in support of the Connolly bill, uh, specifically opposed that, that provision. The means testing. Yeah. The, okay. Um, but, but your, your organization is, isn't taking a, a point of a view on that. Yeah, I don't, well, I mean, I just figured, I just found out about that in the last day and I haven't yeah. been able to take it to my board of directors yet. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I have a board that I, they have to approve stuff like that. So gotcha. I, I, I probably shouldn't say, but, um, but it does have, it is controversial to do that. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess uh, you have a group of people testifying tomorrow around 1030 AM at the state house. That's right. Anybody listening to this, come on down. Uh, it's free to get in. Uh, it's Gardner Auditorium. It'll be a zoo, so get there early. Right. Um, uh, there, it's you know, uh, people if they're signing up, there's a uh, people have already submitted lists of testimony. So at this point, it's going to be pretty much tied up through most of the day. But if people show up, uh, we'll have materials for them to take around to visit their own rep and their own senator and say, it's time. Perfect. It's time. And uh, you all need to, you know, join the, the the trend of New York and Oregon and California and uh, give the tools to, you know, get rid of the stand and uh, now and let cities do what they need to do to protect the people in their community. The 2020 is the year. Rent control is no longer a dirty word. <laughs> we can say it. I know. I, did, I wondered if I'd ever lived to see that day. but Wow. Uh, it is a, it is a, people are talking about it in these terms Good. and people are no longer treating you like a, you know, well, I'll see you tomorrow when we go around to the state house reps, but, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's been a fairly rapid shift in public opinion. I think it's just in my experience, I, your listeners may have their own experiences. Just ask around. <laughs> I, I've talked to people who've talked to homeowners and landlords who are saying, yes, we need to get rent controls to us out of control here. There's even landlords on board with rent control. There are even landlords that are on board. for Everyone loves you. Everyone loves rent control. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Renters Radio. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? There's because... room for redemption landlords. 
Yeah. Yes, yes, they can they can redeem yeah. themselves. Repent. Repent. <laughs> Repent right. to your yeah. Absolutely. Um, people people who care about their community, okay? Right. Uh you know, there are people that do that, that they care about their community and they understand that it, uh, something judicious needs to happen to prevent mass displacement and homelessness. Yeah. And and these corporate landlords building these luxury condos are pretty faceless. Most of them aren't really members of the community. In right. fact, most, uh, many of them, them are, yeah. aren't even based in Boston. So most not even people. Yeah, they're, they're not really people. They're corporations. They're not like, you know. Right. Investor, uh, global investment fund. Right. Exactly. Not country, a lot of them. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, they're just speculating. They're, it's like they're treating Boston like a monopoly game. Right. You know, look at the seaport district. <laughs> An obscenity if there ever was one. Yeah. Look at that. They could have. That was only in the last 20 years. They could have made that a beautiful community of affordable housing to the city with parks and amenities they could have done to, you know, look at the, you know, the back bay, of course, that was built for rich people at the time, but the back bay at least was aesthetically, uh, you know, a contribution to the city. It's why people come here 150 years later as tourists. They, they could have done something like that and, uh, uh, you know, and made it affordable. But no, uh, they could have done what Vienna did, but no, or what we did at Tent City. I would love to see Tent a neighborhood. Uh, gave away the store. Yeah, I would love. Developers who made huge profits. Yeah. They're, they're not even from here. Right. And we're seeing that all over. We're seeing that in Brighton. We're seeing that in East Boston. There's all kinds of these developments that would be a lot better if sure. uh, regular people could actually afford to live in them. And uh, that's what we talk about week after week. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Cause we're going to end up taking a quick break and then um, I don't know, do another segment, but I, I wanted to make sure that we got every event, every issue, every link that you want to plug in um, before yeah, we so. say goodbye tonight. Yeah, no, this is a great, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. To, um, I feel like I've learned so much. <laughs> And talk about it, but you know, we, we feel pretty passionately because our members are directly affected. Right. And uh, uh, and you know, we've we've been working with homeless people in the Boston Homeless Solidarity Committee, so nice. I see that too. And uh, you know, uh, there's uh, a lot of people that are hurting out there, and they need the help of everybody listening to uh, step up and uh, come to the state house. Don't be shy and uh, make your reps and senators respond to you. Well, we'll be there. We'll see you there, I guess. We'll say hi. And um, I appreciate the call. I appreciate all of the uh, uh, insight and knowledge you have on the Mass Alliance of HUD tenants. Then again, for anyone just tuning in, that was Executive Director of the Mass Alliance of HUD tenants, Michael Kane. You can find them at maht.org. And the national group is SaveOurHomes.org. And um, you can also show up tomorrow to the State House for the rent control hearing and rally on the uh, new bill going forward to lift the ban. But we're going to take a quick break and uh, say goodbye for now. I really appreciate you calling in. We'll probably post this up on well, YouTube. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Michael. So, thank you. Thanks thank so you. much. Okay. Thank you, guys. Bye. Okay. Good night. Yep. Good night. Hi, Michael. That was fun. Yeah, man. There, I feel like there's so many things I need to look up. Yeah, I, I, know I, about. Like, I, I had a lot more questions, and then I looked at the time. I just like I love when we promise callers, like, oh, it'll be like 15 minutes, <laughs> 20 minutes. It's I like, pick good callers. Yeah, that's it's why. Like, All right, we'll spend like an hour. <laughs>
How long was that? That was. It's nine. It's nine forty-five. So that was. Oh, a good we're hour. still live, by the way. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! All right, let's take a quick break. I need to use the ladies' room. But for... stay on the line because we're gonna share our vacation stories. Yeah, we're gonna come back in like you know ten minutes. Uh, share some stories. Um, talk about the rent control rally some more. Check in with friend of the show Ben Simon. Hello. Maybe form our own <laughs> our own tenant union right here. Yes. In the market basket basement in Somerville. But, all right. See you in a few minutes. Yeah. Let's go. Wow, we really should have been live for that. Uh, you actually um, are now. All right. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I got that. You got that? <laughs> yes. All right, we are here. Um, we have had our meat, and now it's time for some pudding. How can you have your pudding if you don't eat your meat? We yeah, just had right. a healthy dose of rent control. That was, uh, in the previous segment, Executive Director of the Mass Alliance of HUD Tenants, Michael Kane really dropping some knowledge about the history of uh, tenant activism and renters' rights and affordable housing in Boston. Really appreciate that call. There's like so many side topics from that I want to get into at some point. But we're here today, the day before the bill's going to drop at the State House. We have a big hearing tomorrow, a big rally for rent control afterwards. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. This might be the year. Uh, I think, no, Ben and I were talking about that off air, like the, I don't know, the odds of it actually passing this year, I'm skeptical, but we'll see. But, I mean, I think he said like five years. Really? That's what he thought. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like he briefly mentioned like just that time period, because this thing does like, just take time. Yeah. Like this is, as he was saying, like just became back in the public discourse. So what do we do? Go to the state house like oh. once a year for the next five or once a month for the next five years to keep hounding everyone to uh, lift the ban on rent control, I guess. Yeah, I feel like there's there's no way that something like this is going to pass until the legislat uh, legislators feel more pressure from us and from, you know, their real estate industry donors. Um, so we we you know even if it doesn't pass like we got to show up and we got to keep showing up um and as we're doing that even if like we don't get it passed like we're building our networks and we're getting stronger and building power so um yeah i think it's it's really exciting that that this issue is blowing up um and it, it would surprise me if it passed this year but i you know the the conditions are really getting that bad that that you know it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't like totally shock me if it happened um because yeah i mean uh you know state reps and people are probably getting like just like constant um you know constantly hearing from constituents about this kind of thing yeah and it's people are becoming displaced more and more every year the rent is not only too damn high it is like <laughs> even higher than that every year um and you know like he said he did not think he would see the day where rent control was not a bad word in his lifetime because of the uh, propaganda that went out when rent control was banned in the state of Massachusetts back in the day. Um, I found it interesting because, you know, as a millennial, I actually wasn't like around for that or aware of that. And I learned about rent control from you. And I didn't think it was a bad word at all. It made complete sense and seemed absolutely necessary. And so you know, when I'm hearing somebody who's been in the fight for this long talk about, you know, the, I guess, the the shifting uh, opinion of public opinion on this, uh, I just, you know, coming from a, I guess, 
sort of young millennial perspective. Um, uh, I think that actually is bodes well for our generation. The fact that like people like me who have been activists don't even really consider rent control a bad word. Whereas other people thought it was taboo to talk about and there's got to be more like us. And maybe that is the hope to change things is the fact that there's a whole new generation of people who haven't been like poisoned against the idea of rent control. Cause you know, most of us aren't landlords and developers. So, I mean, it, it's going to help us. Um, and you know, a lot of new people have been elected who have been un not afraid to, um, uh, come out and say, I am for straight up rent control. I remember when you were running and canvassing Ben, uh, talking to people and you'd say, you know, we say affordable housing, they're like, bullshit. And then like, no, I'm talking rent control. Oh, really? There you go. You know, like just, just, just cut the crap. Like this is, yeah. you know, just like hard line. And I, I actually do. One of the things that inspired me about your campaign was the fact that you weren't really pulling any punches with regards to that. And, you know, I, I wanted everyone to be on that page. I wanted everybody, some people won, some people didn't, but I wanted everybody to be that sort of just outspoken in support of this. So I really hope we have a good turnout tomorrow. Um, and yeah, too. you know, I think that you were in a way maybe ahead of your time, <laughs> but maybe you were right on time. We'll see. Um, you know, maybe enough enough people have been elected that uh, can keep pushing this forward, and hopefully, uh, we can maybe someday I'll be able to afford to live in Cambridge. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it's possible. Yeah, <laughs> it could happen. I know. He's talking about Boston. I'm just thinking, let's sitting here thinking Cambridge, like, because that's really where I feel like the highest. Yeah, well, Cambridge actually had the most robust like rent control when when it was uh, banned by a statewide referendum. Like we had. What was going on in Brookline and in Boston at the time, by comparison, were a lot less right. intense. Um, and and yeah, like you know, despite like this this idea that you know rent control became a bad word, um, I feel like that was in the sort of like political, you know, right. you know, like the like the upper echelons of the political folks, society, and like uh, on the ground, like with regular people, that never really happened. Um, I mean, that's the impression I get. And, and I mean, we were all like so young for the 90s, but I mean, to like, put it in perspective mm -hmm. what the political climate was, but it was capitalism won, everything else lost, let the markets do it. Yeah. And that was now like the by consensus, like the crazy era of like Reagan was gone, but the Cold War was over and it was such an easier climate to, all you had to say was, let's let, let markets do it. Oh, you the invisible 70% of people will be like, yep, because we've now proven that's one. Right. Like we have the Washington consensus, which is both parties agreeing, yep, like this is the playbook. Okiyama is the end of history. Yeah, you yeah. You don't have to solve anything anymore. We already know, just let markets do it. Right. And we grew up with that all collapsing. Yeah. And, you know, I remember even he was talking about um, the mayoral campaign, which I remember covering on the Young Jerks and being a big supporter of Tito Jackson. And uh, one of the things that I remember talking to Tito about was that I flat out as a, I believe I was maybe 26, 27, 28 at the time, told him, like, I will never be able to afford to own a home in Boston. That's just unheard of. That's just not going to happen. And, you know, uh, he actually was, a, he, he was affected by that. And, he, you know, that, that um, kind of ran with that. And I, I don't think that that was a particularly personal feeling that I had. I think that most people my age living in Boston 
um, expect to be renters if they want to stay here their whole lives. You know, and a lot of these, there's a lot of, still a lot of people talking about home ownership as a goal and helping people own homes. And like, that's great. I don't know whether I'm just like conceding to like the economy by saying that I don't even dream of that. I definitely do not plan on spending right. $450,000 for a condo in Boston. I'm right. I'm very upfront about that. If I drop that kind of money, it's going to have like um, a yard <laughs> and not like neighbors that can hear me if I have the stereo at like medium to high level. But right. That's just me. Right. And, and I mean, I just don't expect to ever have, you know, and it's funny because when you own a home, that is a mortgage is somewhat like built in rent control, right? Like your, you know, your rate's not going to go up, hopefully, if you got a right. good deal. You know, there's a little bit more. I feel like a lot of our society has been uh, geared towards protecting home ownership. But what about people like us who just, it's not going to happen? How do you, you know, we need these protections. Um, 100%. Like, so, I mean, I know that, you know, we were talking about Marty Walsh's State of the City, which I watched last week, um, where he talked about that $500 million in subsidies um, for uh, low-income renters that the city is going to give. And, you know, that meant a lot. But there was also a lot of programs towards homeownership and helping people buy homes, maybe young families buy homes in Boston. And I can't even get into that. This is Renters Radio. Um, I appreciate that and that people are considering uh, people who want to own homes. Uh, I just think that is a luxury of the rich. Yeah, totally. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, it just seems like sort of, a, you know, a cop out of like, just like, oh, everyone should just own their home. It's yeah. like saying like, like, like it's, it's like just economically not feasible yeah. for the greater half of the American public. So like we just have, we have to address the issue of making rentals affordable. Um, and I, I just wanted to, to riff off something um, earlier. You were talking about how, Hey, like how like the law is sort of just, it, it protects property owners more so than, than people that don't own a property. Right. Um, and also like the idea of, of rent controls being kind of stigmatized. Um, what, one of the, like the really, one of like the points that really people used to like attack rent control with during the nineties was this idea that, you know, there's like, they paint this picture of like the small downtrodden, like, you know, um, the poor grandmother, that pre- yeah, poor grandfather, grandmother. Yeah. For... There's like, they own like a small property they rent out like the flat above them or something. And they like need to, to raise the rent to like pay for their, their, you know, whatever their surgery or yeah, something. milk and bread. Right. And it's like, like, well, there may be actual people in that position. It's also true that people's grandmothers and grandfathers might be renters. Right. And it's like, why, why do we, why do we always side with the property owners right. against the renters? It's like, we are just so like hardwired to consider the the rights of property owners over the rights of non-property owners and it's, it's it's just incredible because like the the prop the owner of that property has so much more going for them they don't have to work to get income they right. just make passive income from owning fucking property whereas <laughs> like if they're if there's a grandparent that they're renting to we don't care about that person right who cares they they may be working to like at at you know in their 70s or 80s and Right. Like we just don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a lot of, uh, and if they are elderly and renting and on some sort of fixed income, social security, the, you know, uh, raising the rents like this much, uh, isn't, you know, it it will displace people. It will leave elderly people homeless. And like, who wants, 
to have a city where we have homeless grandmas come yeah. on. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, but I mean, our country was founded on the rights of property owners. So totally. let's be real. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, you know, like, why do we, why do we uh, give property owners the privilege or give them more, you know, power? Well, that's how America was founded, but right. I digress. They viewed themselves as the minority class because they were the small elite of landowners. Yeah. And you had to protect the minority from the majority. Right. But in their terms, that meant large-scale property owners. Well, we were coming with our pitchforks. Yeah. We're yeah. coming with our George torches. George Washington fought the French and Indian War so we could survey land that he was going to buy out. Yeah. But again, we're going to keep it local. This yeah. is supposed to be the... the Desserts. Right. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. like getting some Having an extra helping of turkey. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I always like seconds better than this than dessert. But anyway, um, what do we want to get to? We want to tell. We want to talk about vacation. Vacation stories. Vacation stories. All of everyone in this room has been on vacation in the past week, except me. Uh, that's why we didn't do a show last week. Herb was away at Super Magfest, so you're gonna have to tell something. Be ready. But Evan, I didn't think would make it back in time for the show tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'll get into my story. All right, so I went away to Puerto Rico, which is not how you pronounce that word. Herb's <laughs> <laughs> dying over there. Puerto Rico. Um, I, I have a good friend, met through Teach for America. She was teaching at a conference. She does, like, ranked choice voting. So it was, like, this... Very like nerdy segment of people who wanted to talk about I love different ranked styles voting. of ranked choice voting. So she spoke at this conference, and then I went down uh, to hang out with her and just chill by the beach. So first, thank you for everyone who was jokingly buying into the thoughts and prayers and flying me back on time. I, 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 I'm not sure. Maybe that had the opposite effect because it seemed like things were going well until I posted that. No, things were going great. So um, while I was there... There were earthquakes, but I was in San Juan, the northern part of the island. The earthquakes were hitting the southern part. Um, there definitely was some, I guess, destruction down there. But from where I was, I was fine. So I had a fantastic time. Beautiful weather. Loved the area. Reminded me a lot of New Orleans. Like, you know, Puerto Rico is an American territory, but really treat them a lot like a colonial relationship. But having said that, it is technically, it is America. And so... It does not at all feel like an American city. They, oddly enough, have their gasoline in liters and not gallons, which I need someone to explain to me why they do that. But anyway, that was not the highlight of the trip. The highlight of the trip, sadly, outside of the beaches, and I took a whole news break. I had no idea what was going on. So I have about 30,000 news articles to catch up on. I convinced a Warren supporter to caucus for Bernie, which I was pumped about. But... The reason for the, the stress from yesterday. So I was supposed to get back at 7 p.m. And I know no one here listens to my travel stories because for me, this was a very personal effect. But you, It you was just... personal for me, too. Oh, no, yeah. I needed a stuff. ride here. That's <laughs> true. God, they just called a lift. I know. I don't want to spend money to get here. God. Oh, but I took Spirit Airlines. Has anyone in this room ever used Spirit Airlines? You know, I'm poor and still no. Okay, because I know they have, like, their record is they are, like, the cheapest air flight. You're not even allowed to bring a carry-on. Right. I luckily kind of scammed them and had my big thing with me, and they just didn't check it. However, maybe I just had bad voodoo. I was supposed to fly out at 4 p.m. yesterday. So I got to the airport nice and early, ready to go. We board the plane. All right, all of a sudden, we're just starting a taxi. You notice the heat. You just hear brum brum. And the heat in the airplane is just going up. It's like 70. 75 to 80, 85. 
we're on the runway for 90 minutes and the pilot is just like so as you've noticed like the air conditioning unit is broken we are trying to uh fix it it's not working so we have to taxi back to the gate now we're back at the gate sitting on this plane for 90 minutes and then the pilot says we're gonna have to unboard everyone get off the plane now it's around 5 30. we're all just drenched in sweat we sit around for four hours Eventually, they say, we fixed it, everyone. Back on the plane. Woo! We're back on. I'm texting Lauren. All right, I'm on the plane. I'll be there uh, for the show. Fantastic. But then they say, oh, wait. Now the workers are over contract because there's only a certain amount of hours that they can be on. So now they have to negotiate with Spirit National of can we still fly? They do an hour of negotiation. Pilot gets on. They let us do it. We're going to fly out. Everyone's cheering. I'm telling people nobody cheer because we're still in Puerto Rico. We now taxi to the runway. All of a sudden, brum brum, the heat starts to rise again. Ah. It goes back up to 85. The pilot says, yep, the maintenance uh, didn't do its thing. We have to go back to the gate. We unload a second time. It's now 11 p.m. People are screaming. They had to call the police because people flipped it out. Because <laughs> at this point, like, they're families with kids. We've been doing this for seven hours now. But now we have to chill in the airport because they haven't officially canceled the flight. So from 11 a.m., I'm sorry, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., we're just chilling in the airport with no information. Eventually they say, your next flight's at 11 a.m. the next day. You have to leave, stand in line, get a voucher for this hotel. <clears throat> Yada, yada, yada. I'm at the hotel at 2.30 in the morning, sleep for a few hours, back for the 11 a.m. flight. It's now 11 a.m. The plane's not at the gate. I know. People are flipping oh, out. No. <laughs> like, we are, I mean, like, you bond in those situations. Like, one of the, again, I'm a socialist for a lot of reasons. One of them <laughs> is a genuine love of people. Because at this point, we've all gone through so much together that, like, we know each other. Like, during breakfast, we were all sitting together. Uh, we got like these meal vouchers and we were all just running up the tab as like this F you to spirit. I bought buying people gum to, like at the airport because I'm like, I'm spending all the money, everyone that spent everything we got. Good job. <laughs> they say like the plane's gonna land soon to pick us up. We're all just ready to mutiny. Fortunately, it eventually got there. We flew out. I'm back. Thank you very much. And then they, they gave us a $50 voucher for another flight that, <laughs> yes. I, that, I, that I have to use in the next 40 days or it's expired. 40 days? <laughs> so oh, man. I don't have time this week. We have a very busy week. We have a lot to do tomorrow with the event. But I'm going to just call Spirit Airlines customer service for like a good three to four hours. And like, I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to yell. But I'm going to just suck their time and just be like, no, because I had to take a day off of work today. Like 150 bucks you now owe me. Your $50 crap voucher for your shitty airline that I'm never going to fly again doesn't do it for me. You better refund my flight in full, but that's my fight coming up. Actually, that would make some great bonus content for the Patreon. <laughs> what, just me on the phone? Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm so, I've been to video game companies before. Yeah. If, like the game glitches and like doesn't look like I love doing it because I'm just, I'm just going to use your resources. We used to do so lobbyists back in the day. It was always fun to live stream that. We should do it live. Pretend my name's Karen. I want to speak to the manager. There we go. Um, so that's crazy. I'm glad you made it back and I that back. otherwise your uh, time in Puerto Rico was enjoyable and you didn't like eat yourself into a sinkhole because the earthquakes i honestly thought we'd lost him forever because this guy knows about like disaster relief and like he flew down during a disaster um like someone's gonna offer him a job he's gonna like go be a hero and 
uh, he's never coming back. Comic- but thanks for coming back. I mean, comically, two weeks ago, I told you, like, oh, I'll definitely make it back on the show for Monday. The only way I won't make it is if there's a natural disaster <laughs> of some sort, and then I get kind of, like, sucked into some sort of role. I don't know. Pe- well, I'm happy you avoided that kind of responsibility and just drank on the beach. Yeah. You know? Heineken's huge down there. I love Heineken. Drink until it tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was my story. Um, convincing the person to switch from Warren to Bernie. And this um, That is happening with a lot of people lately. It is. But like I'm always shocked at how underinformed people are that again, this is uh he's a political scientist who taught political theory at a college. And when like he told me he was in a caucus for Warren, I asked why, and he goes, Well, Warren was the only person with a plan to abolish student debt. Uh and then I'm like, oh, um, actually, Bernie has a plan, too. He goes, oh, um, I don't think so. Warren, um, like, then he told me he has $130,000 student debt. And he's like, that's going to be huge for me and my family. We can wipe that out. And I said, have you ever looked at Warren's plan? Oh, no. So Warren's plan only will wipe out 50000 And then it is then rated based upon your income, the rest. And he goes, oh, well, that's, only, that's like less than one third of a little bit more than a third of what I owe. What's Bernie's plan? He's like, thank you for asking. Bernie's plan is the abolishment of all student debt. He goes, no way. And he starts Googling it. He's like, oh my God, yeah, you're right. He goes, oh, I'm going to go caucus with Bernie then. I'm like, oh, yeah. there you go, man. Guy bought me like three shots. Just, just doing the work. Just doing the work. But all right, that was uh, for where do we go. Awesome. Um, I mean, France actually. France versus DC. Yeah, we got, yeah, let's, let's talk about France. That That's a tough act to follow. I don't really have a story like that. It doesn't have to be a horror story. <laughs> it can be a pleasant story. Was there a chateau involved? Um, well, guillotine. yeah. Uh, or a my, guillotine. My, <laughs> see, I, I wish I had been able to, yeah, witness some of the demonstrations and <laughs> the striking going on. But um, my my brother's wife's family, they live in like, like pretty much the Alps in like a very like postcard you know, picturesque kind of scene. Um, so it was just like chillax and doing French stuff. Drinking wine? Definitely drinking some How wine. How was the wine Lots. out there? Um, quite exceptional. Excellent. Very, very delicious. The grapes were just right. <laughs> really? Um, but yeah, no, grapes. it was it was really just relaxing. You know, I was there like for Christmas and New Year's. Um, ate a lot of French food, ate the snails, did the fondue all all the various french things that one's supposed what to was your favorite french food i really like this um dish that's actually it's particular to like this region of france in the alps um it's called tartiflette and it's sort of like a like melted cheese potato dish with um these like bits of ham called lardon and um it's almost like a distant relative of poutine, which I also adore. <laughs> I do love me some poutine. <laughs> and I, I flew back through Montreal, so I got to have plenty, yeah. plenty of poutine. Um, so yeah, it was a, a delicious and, and wonderful trip. I wish I didn't have to come back to the world and could just stay in France and eat. I feel like you vacation. had a really bougie vacation. It was pretty, for Ben it Simon. Was, it was it was pretty bougie, I suppose. But uh, you know, that's awesome. I was I was, <laughs> was flying flown out on my um my sister-in-law's family's dime so yeah, I, i'm nice. very you know i could not afford that kind of thing on my own but i appreciate um the help of rich in-laws <laughs> no rich in, order, in order to see the world rich family's the best um so you didn't get to see any of the demonstrations you get to see i didn't know any sadly. like what were people there like were you in like a secluded area or yeah, were you in a city? yeah. It, it's like it's it's a place called nc and it's like 
it's on this big lake in the Alps and just like houses are really far apart. So it's not really like, is the air really clean? Like, yes, it's Ricola. It's, it's bracing. You, and you, yeah, you get cough drops all over. <laughs> like, it's great. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I want to go time. to France so bad. I'm so jealous. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I wish, I wish I could have experienced it as we, as I said, but like the, the, the class consciousness there is just like, Oh, it's incredible. It's it's spot on. <laughs> if like one worker gets scammed off of like one hour's wage, the entire country shuts down. Hell yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure just today, actually, uh, Macron announced that they're not going to increase the retirement age. Yeah, because like that. the second yeah. they try to do one piece of legislation to roll back their welfare state, everyone goes on strike, including the police. Mm. Like, yeah. can you imagine, like, again, in our political climate, like the left groups are striking with the police officers. It's such a foreign thing. And that kind of gets back to what Michael was saying. Like we're pushing here for just modest rent control. Like, can you just please let our city decide a little bit of rent control over in Vienna? They're just seizing property. No, he's saying uh, like, <laughs> it's it's, awesome. Uh, no, no, uh, for, Berlin. Vienna, for, for Berlin, yeah. less than market rate. Like yeah. we can do eminent domain and we just, that's another word that I'm hoping becomes not dirty and uh, upcoming, and that's just the government seizure of private property. But even then, we have to pay our market rates. Yeah, they get to do bullshit. under market rates. They're yeah. doing stuff that like is to the left of what I'm saying, and just so like far behind we are as a political climate. Damn America, be more like the French. Yeah, I would love to eat that dish. What was that called? <laughs> Tartiflette. Tartiflette. Yeah, we can have tartiflette. We can live longer and drink more. And like it's some weird combination. Of yeah. We can eat fondue. Oh, God. Let's make this country into a fondue, not a fondant. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Her, cut that. Cut that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this is dessert time, and I'm just thinking like chocolate fountains everywhere. Is that what fondue is? Is that chocolate or cheese? Cheese, isn't it? Oh, both. There's the chocolate or cheese fondue. Why not? You've got, you got the savory and the sweet. I mean, not at the same time, typically. But <laughs> you've got the dessert version and the savory version. Nice. And you had snails. How are the snails? I, I've never had them before. Um, you know, it was it was surprisingly good. They they were cooked with this um, you know, kind of like parsley garlicky thing going on there. It was it was nice. I would do it again. You would eat snails again? Sure. I should try it? Yeah. I like most it. things. I feel like I would enjoy snails. They've got this weird clamp that you clamp the shell with, and then you like they get like this two-pronged fork you stick it into oh, the shell. So it's just, it's like a fun, the whole procedure. <laughs> okay. They do goggles. No, they don't actually It's like goggles. lobster. Like it's yeah, like, it's, it's involved. I like projects yeah. when I eat. I like it's to, a very, I like it's very involved like that. I All like these that. like accoutrement you have to like master. Accoutrement. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> He's speaking French now, guys. Watch out. Um, so Herb, you also were on vacation. Yeah. Where were you? I went down to DC to Super Magfest with uh, the TriHeart fam. And um, we ran a stage. I got on uh, geekbeatradio.com. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did a little broadcasting for, for Rob there. We had a good time. If um, if you want to look at something funny, you look up uh, geekbeatradio.com. It's actually a compilation of how many people fell off the stage. We're <laughs> <laughs> our open mic, dude. It's a very fun compilation. and You get to see people play their music and fall off the stage. It was a good time. That's awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. um that was that you were away last week is one of the reasons we need our producer herb to do the show um i don't need anyone else just <laughs> as you look over at me wow. <laughs> i don't need anyone except for her <laughs> but our fearless producer herb was down in dc but it sounds like that was a working vacation 
Yeah, but there were like a lot of parties, man. We were, yeah. we were staying in the same hotel as the event, so there was a lot of hotel parties. And you know what? The DJs would just sit up anywhere and start playing music, and a dance party would form around them. Perfect. And, and it was a big blur. I think I, I might have overdone it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I remember, like, so this is what happens when my friends go on vacation. I expect to be getting, like, minute-by-minute minute updates with, like, pictures and video and images and like I'm like all like sitting on my couch like how's it going what are you guys up to out there and everyone's just like no like they're busy <laughs> having fun I'm here living vicariously I think I got like I would text him once a day to make sure he was alive and then Herb I remember getting one message this is gonna get a little raunchy I saw seven titties Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, why <laughs> the jokes. odd number? Because <laughs> yeah, like one of them actually had a pair. Anyways, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get it. no, no, I uh, instantly got it. Yes. You texted me that to clarify what he meant. <laughs> what is this? And I'm like, this is a stupid joke. Yeah, man. it's like he's making a joke because like she was also a tit. You get it? Oh <laughs> my god! Middle of my vacation, in Puerto Rico. And I had to that. Yeah, I'm like Evan. What does he mean by this? I don't understand. That was so stupid. I was literally trying to do like math and like geometry and like anatomy in my head when I got that. But I mean, I'm happy that you saw whatever amount of titties you saw. I hope there was, you know, I, I actually haven't watched all the video. Um, I can't wait to see it now that you say there's uh, bloopers and people falling off stage. Oh, it is amazing. And so what is Super MagFest again? Super MagFest is uh, uh, it's a video game convention, kind of like PAX. It's a little smaller, but it's um, it also focuses a lot on music. Right. And they have uh, two gigantic 24-hour uh, arcades that they set up, one with every single console that you could think of and game with like a gigantic game uh, uh, library. And the other one is like all these like um uh you know like the the arcade style games from like you know there's like a pinball like section there's like stuff from Japan. Cool. And then while all that's going on, you got a whole bunch of panels that are just geeky to the max, and you got um. Was there main... cosplay? Oh, massive amounts of cosplay. Awesome. There's a main stage where like uh, big acts play, and there's also like a ship stage where we were like situated at. Cool. And... Oh my god, it's so amazing, dude. Are you going back next year? Oh, hell yeah, dude. Dude, I might be coming with you. That yes. sounds amazing. So you were with our friend Danny. He hasn't been on the show, but he actually helped us a lot with the setup. Yep. Uh, Danny Pryor. He's in a band called Try Heart. They Try are... Heart. Um, what is the term? 8-bit. Uh, eight, 8-bit. Eight 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 no, they're, they're more than 8-bit. He they, plays they, music on Game Boy. Yeah, there's 16-bit. Yeah, but there's also lyricism. It's like pop punk on a Game Boy. Oh, it's beautiful. And it's it's awesome. some beautiful, beautiful stuff, And man. it's its own little underground community in Boston. Extremely fascinating. Just like random plug. Check out like Boston 8-Bit. They do shows a lot in Cambridge. Once a month, once a month over yeah. at uh, uh, Jungle. Check yeah, it out. Like, it's, it's just kind of this cool niche dive to get into um so and wait, I, I thought 8-bit was the name of a band it's a type of music it's a type of music it's a genre oh okay there might only be like four bands in this genre this but it's definitely a genre. There's, a lot, there's a lot of bands in this genre dude it's like yeah. a lot it's a huge community it's just it's just not as popular because you know yeah but it's actually it's pretty danceable TV. catchy oh it's super like, ravey yeah it's it's pretty fun there's like leds involved <laughs> yeah. um I highly recommend it if you're into local music as well. Check out Try Hard, and uh, I might go. Maybe we should live stream from Super Magfest at some point. I don't know. I'm so like jealous of all of you. Well, now I want to go to an eight bit turn. Oh yeah, apparently yeah, they happen every month. Is what every once doing. a month. Yeah, yeah at right. the jungle. Yeah, at the jungle, right yeah. up the street from here. Um, jungle's pretty cool, actually. I've always been pleasantly surprised by 
Like I've always like wandered into the jungle after something else and been like, oh, this is awesome. I don't think I've ever been. It's like right over there. All right. Next time 8 bits flying, Herb, hit us up. I will. Yeah. So I'm very busy for the next six to nine months. That's okay. <laughs> I'll make it. He's never going to make it to one of our shows out in Union Square. It's not going to happen. It's like, that's too far. Right down the street. Yeah, it's like, we could just go there right now. I bet it's happening right now. Um, so, I mean, so that was D.C. You had France, Ben. I guess, I guess uh, you had Puerto Rico. I still don't know what you did on your vacation, Evan, except like get like hemmed up at the airport. Woke up at 10, 30, 11, got a nice breakfast, coffee, went down to the beach, read my book, which we well, maybe designate a whole little segment to that. Too. Oh, yeah. This is the return of the gay sex magic book, by the way. We referred to it in the first episode. Yeah. Um, so, we will um, do a review. Yeah. I'll, I'll put together a nice review of it. Read that comic book series that you gave me. Oh, gosh. Uh, nice. reading The Invisibles. Yeah, it's good. Ben, have you ever read The Invisibles? No. So I'll send you. I'll send you the. Um, I have all. Uh, actually, I shouldn't. It, I don't think it's illegal, but I have it all, and I can share the Google Doc. It's probably okay. illegal in some capacity. But that's okay. okay. It's it's really important. It's a magic spell, and I, I I actually could do an entire episode on the meaning of the invisibles, but I'm not going to go there. This is turned into Geek Beat Radio. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, shout out! Shout out! Grant Morrison, <laughs> Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, the trio of wizards from the Vertigo era. Um, so yeah, so you read some books on the beach, I assume. Yeah. And then, uh, Heineken's by day, Heineken's by night. Explored mm. San Juan. That's awesome. And he had Weineken's. I had and, beer as well. Oh, beer as well. <laughs> what, what's French? Yeah. Have you, is there like French beer? Yeah, there's thing? French beer. Um, but it's not very good. Isn't Stella Artois? I'm just going to assume is a French beer. It's, um, it's Belgian. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of like but, French, But they right? drink it in France, too. Um, Do you but, prefer Stella or Heineken? I feel like I'm okay with either. Stella has a higher alcohol content. Okay, so I should choose Stella when faced with that choice. Yes, if you're trying to be economical. Yeah. If you're doing cost per ounce per alcohol volume. Yeah. We'll put together a whole little chart about how you're supposed to... But, like, there's also, like, cost of, like... Like, yeah, I could drink some, like, oh, actually, honestly, at some, back in the day, actually, state rep Mike Connolly's brother-in-law released a beer called MacGuffin <laughs> with Harpoon. And that was, like, the booziest beer. Like, it was, like, tw like $14 for, like, a four-pack, right, of those big cans. And that was, like, the booziest beer ever. That would sneak up on you, but it was delicious. It was, like, a stout. Um, so there's also, like, you know, how, how easily can you drink it during your day um or you know at night out and about uh because you know if you're going to talk about economics and alcohol per volume there's like some cost there too yeah actually the, the, i mean the prices were pretty cheap to be honest beer cheaper there uh compared to boston yeah what's the what's the prices like over there in france uh comparable but of course in euros in euros oh, yes. did you keep so, euros like what was more, it yeah. like did you have like it's like you went with cash in your pocket to france and then turn that into euros would have you have more money or less um euro is compares favorably to the dollar now so uh it's like a smaller amount of euros makes a greater amount of dollars but like okay so that's in terms of like the uh conversion rate or 
Yeah, isn't that what you're asking? Well, no, I'm asking like <laughs> I'm asking like okay, you have like 15 bucks in your pocket. Yeah, you U.S. Could, 15 dollars. U.S. 15 dollars. You could get like a beer and a half maybe at the right place. Um, if you go with that 15 dollars, convert it to euros, go into a bar in France. How does that translate to? How many beers or like whatever, like like how far does it go? Is what right. I'm asking. I'm not um, asking about like conversion. I'm asking about like how far does it go? Yeah, I I, th I think I think the prices are, are fairly comparable. Okay, uh, just just like in in euros. Okay, so that they're they're different numbers, but they represent the same basic uh, value. <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah. basically, that you know, beer and a half it's is going to be a beer and like, a half in yeah, France. It's not that much like cheaper or anything. Okay. Yeah. As, as far as I could tell, we didn't go out to drink too much. Okay. But Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Things are cheaper. cheaper. I, mean, I, I mean, to Boston. Yeah. Even though it's an island, because islands are usually expensive. Yes. Normally, yeah. Nice. And her. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I just thought of Puerto Rico. Have you talked to your dad yet? No. Is everybody okay? Uh, apparently. Okay. Good. Just want to hear it. Um. The earthquakes have been i mean i don't i don't want to get too deep into the earthquakes on the show because it's depressing and like mother earth needs to stop with the shaking but um it's like destroying a lot of schools and cities and like power outages and stuff and uh i mean it didn't hit san juan but it hit the south side of the island pretty bad and like puerto rico has been getting the brunt of all of this yeah i mean between the hurricanes yeah like it's uh, just like Irma and maria to the constant gutting. I mean, because I mean, again, we have a colonial relationship with them. We count them yeah. as uh, U.S. territory, but anything they buy has to go through a U.S. port, and you're allowed to kind of jack up the money. And it's really is just this um, economic leeching that we've been doing. Uh, 2016, they had to refinance the debt with us, and then their entire economy had to be put in the hands of a select board. So, like, there is no democratic process with their economy, which has been the whole thing well, since World War II. The, yeah, the, it wasn't it just designed like that in order for, like, rich people to get away with, like, a whole bunch of tax cuts or something like that? I mean, a, a lot of it is controlling an area, making it so you have to buy our products at our costs, and you can have your own politics, but we're going to control your economy. And that's just kind <laughs> of, like, the relationship. And so they had to refinance their debt uh, with us. And in exchange, you have to just have more austerity, um, austerity measures, which basically means cutting of any social programs, cutting of education, and trying to put more services in private hands. And that's basically what we just do all over the world. So at Puerto Rico, if you want to become the 51st state, I fully support that. If you want to have your own independence movement and have your own country, fully support that as well. Whatever you all think is best. Don't listen to anything yeah. any of us say. Yeah. Yeah, I just want the people down there to get what they want for once and stop getting completely screwed over by yes. hurricanes and earthquakes. Um, much like... Uh, yes. So they are U.S. citizens. For anyone listening who doesn't know that relationship, their vote very similar to people who live in Washington, D.C. They're not allowed to vote in federal elections. But they are U.S. citizens. Wait, they can't vote for president? Nope. Can we fix that? We can't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's weird. Right on it. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, okay. so they can't vote in uh, federal elections. Again, like similar to uh, Washington, D.C. You have Oh my God, speak of the devil. We were just talking about Tryhart and um, the oh, Boston 8-bit scene. And who walks in but Danny Pryor? It's seriously yeah. dessert time now. The Diamond Machine himself. The Diamond <laughs> Machine himself, who has helped us set up a lot of things in the studio. 
Um, so I don't know. I guess a couple other things we talked about is actually I have somehow uh, gotten a pretty full schedule for the next couple weeks for the show. I was going to say, because normally right now as we're closing up, we would do pitches. But I think at this point, everyone knows, go to the stand. Yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow. It's basically tomorrow. Uh, 10 a.m. Um, to 2 p.m. No one is expecting... And, like, unless you can, to be there for the full time, I'll swing by probably for, like, an hour there, an hour there, because I do work right next door. But if you uh, recognize me, please say hi. That would be really cool. Other than that, I'll be there live tweeting as much as I can. I know a lot of my listeners will. I know a lot of activists throughout Boston will be there, so. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be working at noon, but I will try to make it over in the morning and live tweet, and for the rest of the day, I'll be retweeting under my desk what's yeah. going on we'll be keeping a close eye on it you'll be there right i will definitely be there oh and also i just wanted to to sorry <laughs> that no. was very abrupt um right. uh the rally is at 1 p.m right yes. so there's Which... a hearing is is 10 30 to 3 30 and then the rally is at 1 p.m and I, if you can only come to one thing come to the rally i know but yeah. i have to go to work and i am i i have the worst protest fomo for this shit you guys yeah like every like last time i was like i was walking to work and i'm like i just wish i was there but i you know i i, I get protest fomo like other people get like party fomo like i'm just like i want to be there with everybody and and it is important i mean a lot of this is kind of volume and what that means is just filling right. the space so it's in uh the gardner auditorium so if you just face the state house don't go through the main doors. Go actually around it. Uh, so if you're facing the building, you take a right, just kind of hug that sidewalk and enter into the uh, the other side of the building, which I guess would be the east side if you get with uh, navigation, because like that's where it is. We want that to be packed. It's a, a demonstration of power is the amount of people you can generate. So if you can go, go to the state hearings, like as Ben was just saying, outside of it is what's going to get the press coverage. And we want them to say... Um, hundreds, if not a thousand people were outside of the state house demanding rent control. That's what we want the narrative to be after this event tomorrow. That was going to be amazing. Yep. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's why I'm just going for as long as I can, just another number. Um, and you know, uh, it's also a good way to see the other local organizations that are helping renters out there. We have the mass Alliance of HUD tenants. You got city life Theater Urbana. You've got a bunch of other organizations. Um, going there and uh if you're a tenant or a renter it's also a good way to see what groups you or an activist it's a good way to see what groups you can get involved with too i feel like you Definitely. know just just be friendly introduce yourself yep try to leave with a after this event i am going to link up with that group yeah find them on facebook find the next event don't need okay. to plug it too much. And there's also there's also <laughs> GSA, GSA. there's also yeah calls to legislators. Um, we didn't get too into this, but if you you know you can look up your legislator on uh like mass.gov or something and call them to tell them to support this bill. Uh, it'd be amazing if you could just like if enough people do that and fill up their phone lines and they just keep hearing it over and over. That can work. We know that the people who are uh, proposing the bill are uh, State Rep Mike Connolly. Um, also friend of the show and Nika, Nika Agardo. And so, uh, hopefully this bill, uh, goes forward. I know it's going for going in front of Kevin Honan housing committee. Um, yes. For the it, hearing. So this was that's referred, all um, to the committee in June of last year. Right. And now they just got a public hearing for but even if those aren't your reps, anybody, you know, can, you, you should be calling them about everything. Anyway, and you're going to be there? Definitely, yeah. Awesome. And um, besides that, tomorrow, 
uh, which were all awesome. There's a script in the event. Uh, I actually have a live comment on the show from Lori saying that they will post a script in the event page shortly, which we will repost on our page. And we encourage you to follow it when you call your state legislator. That is extremely helpful. Thank you, Lori. I need stuff like that. So I appreciate when people just kind of give me something to work with, uh, with regards to wording, um, as well as I'm sure a lot of other people do. And in terms of other events to plug, other things going on, we do have another guest actually running against Honan, um, who just dropped a housing bill today. This is Jordan Meehan running for state rep in Austin Brighton, and we will be having him live in studio as a guest next week, Monday night, to talk about the housing plan, which I haven't had a chance to read yet, but that's our homework for the week. Um, and that should be an amazing interview. Uh, we also have a few other guests coming up. Um, Brown and Wu at some point. Uh, we may do a midweek show this week. We might have Jeevan on on Wednesday. I actually, I think we should. I feel it now, but we just have to work on timing and kind of like hash it out. If not, we will definitely have Jeevan on soon. Um, yeah, let's just say we're doing it. We're doing it. Okay. We'll have a show in two days. So we can talk about this more. Let's just do it. Um, what else we got? Very quickly, just because it popped up, um, a great Roxbury advocate, who I consider a personal friend, Armani White, is kind of like taking the pledge to run for a seat with the Democratic State Committee. This is like very, not wonky, but it's like the type of work that can actually sway stuff and not just letting the Democratic Party in Massachusetts do whatever it wants, trying to actually get some good people there. So he's having a fundraiser this um Thursday evening. It's at a bar, so if you want to just come out, have some beers, show your support, kind of like start connecting with some of the local activists in Boston. It's at the District 7 Tavern, uh, 380 Warren Street in Boston. Uh, that's a huge Thursday for me, and I'm canceling everything else to go there because um, he's Armani's a great guy. Armani's pretty cool. I met him at the Bernie party. Yeah, and, and, and again, he's doing something which like, like most people haven't heard of the Democratic State Committee, so he's not going for anything flashy or sexy. He's doing something that he thinks is actually going to have a material impact that a lot of people, myself included, are just not willing to put the time into. So I definitely want to support that District 7 Tavern this Thursday, 530, until we decide to stop drinking. So. <laughs> um, any other plugs, Herb? Yeah, actually, if, uh, if you're a little curious about the whole 8-bit uh, scene, February 29th, over at Jungle, here in Union Square. Come on over and check it out. We can show you in person what 8-Bit is all about. You should be there. And let's just say you want to, like, you know, show off your music. You don't have a stage? I got one just for you. Union Tavern, over in Union Square, Tuesday nights. Just show up and play something. It's an open mic. You know you want to. Herb, can you just plug everything from now on? <laughs> <laughs> um... So, I mean, what you got anything, Ben? Um, not presently, no. We also, no. okay, so we also here at New Alliance have a monthly call to arts meetup where we are working on one of the pet issues of mine and Ben's, um, supporting local artists and uh, protecting us from being gentrified and displaced from our local arts scene. Um, a lot of, you know, us here are EMF refugees. We've had shows about it. Um, so we do a monthly meetup call to arts uh, Oh at New Alliance here near the Market Basket. And if you want to support local arts in Boston, we're going to be putting on events. Um, it, we're 
trying to sort of grow. I mean, just like you got to come by the space, guys. This place is glorious. And the people you're working with are like salt of the earth, punk, rock, Boston, like artists. And we have been through a lot together. And so we are always organizing events and trying to sort of unite the renters and the housing movement with the uh, protection for artists who just want to be able to be able to live here, perform here, play here, and create here. Because why would you want to live in it anywhere if you don't have soul? If it doesn't have spirit, if it doesn't have art, if we don't have music, if we don't have culture, our whole lives, our whole world can't just be condos that we can't afford. So um, I don't know when the next one is. It's probably in February, but uh, it's like Wednesdays usually. Uh, I just thought of it. Um, but it's, yeah, supporting local artists is not a separate issue from supporting housing for low-income renters because, you know, it's it, it ties in together. We're all being displaced. Our communities are being broken up and, and pushed out. So um, we'll be posting about it. We'll be putting on events. Uh, there's probably more to come with that. I'm really hoping that we can protect our space here in Somerville and also protect artists around Boston to be able to keep their spaces. Um, it's like an issue very close to our heart here at Renters Radio. Um, and then in terms of that also, uh, I don't know. That's about it. That's no, a lot. <laughs> I just realized I missed the ending saga of my, uh, Puerto Rico trip. You're going to have to tune into the next episode because actually things got worse for me once I landed in Boston. <laughs> Wait, but, really? Cliffhanger. No, no, cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. <laughs> not coming into it. No. That was not the end. That was not the end. Gotta keep um, them wanting more. Yep. Check back oh. Wednesday night. <laughs> Yes, Wednesday night. Also, speaking of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, um, a lot of people have been endorsing Bernie lately, and I have been getting swayed to jump on a bandwagon, but I, I, I don't know yet. We'll see. Tune in Wednesday. Tune in Wednesday. <laughs> we'll find out whether the orb has guided me to choose a candidate for the national presidential election this year. All right. And that's all. Let's go. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, guys. Check us out Wednesday. We'll be back with Jeevan Sabrani Wheeler, newly elected Cambridge City Councilor. We're going to talk about housing some more. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about the rally, among other things. Yeah, that'll be fun. It'll we'll be do great. A post pre and post. We're doing a pre rally show and a post rally show. Incredible. But for now, we got to go. All right. Tune in I'm two exhausted. days. Later. Let's go.